welcome back to a special edition of Spotlight 19. This is episode 8, and before we get started, here's a message from Dustin Reedy of New York 19 Votes. Hi, this is Dustin Reedy with New York 19 Votes. We are the umbrella voter contact organization uh, from all of the indivisible groups here in New York 19 and helping coordinate the activists and groups outside of the district that have adopted this district to help. We have our next big canvas on July 23rd. It's from 1 to 6. There are sites across New York 19 you can come to canvas at. Look us up at ny19votes.com for more information and to sign up. And we hope to see you on Sunday, July 23rd for our next big canvas. Thank you. This is Justin Tracy, and welcome again back to Spotlight 19. We took a bit of a recess over the holiday and had a chance to spend time with many of the candidates running for John Fazzo's congressional seat in 2018, including Pat Ryan, who we had in the studio on July 3rd. Leave them behind. Next episode, we will cover John Paso's June votes, and we will also have an interview with congressional candidate Antonio Delgado. And all you things you don't need. You let go. So our show today is our fascinating interview with Pat Ryan. Thanks for listening to Spotlight 19. You let go and you're free. So today on the show, we're lucky to have with us Pat Ryan, who recently filed to run against John Fazzo. Pat served our country in the military, so it's really fitting that he's here on Fourth of July weekend, and I'll let him tell us more about that. So welcome to Pat Ryan. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, I just want to say thank you for what you guys are building here. Uh, I think it's so, so important that we have all these different venues to hold all of our leaders, but especially John Faso, accountable. And I think the way that you guys are doing that is is really, really important and really awesome. So thanks. This was supposed to be a little side project. And as the weeks go by, it takes up more and more time. And we're glad that people are out there listening. Tell us a little bit about your background, your connection to the area. My understanding is you're a Kingston High School graduate, and then you went on to West Point, which is Amazing. Uh, just a little side note. Um, my grandparents actually lived in Newburgh. Oh, nice. And I grew up going to visit them. And during holiday weekends, we would go to West Point and see what a beautiful place that was. And my parents are both engineers, so they would nerd out. They would West appreciate Point. the uh, fortifications. Yeah, and, uh... and they, <laughs> they, uh, they loved going there. And I think part of them... They did want my sister and I to follow in their footsteps and also become engineers. So they they were kind of trying to ha- push West Point on us. And unfortunately, neither of us ended up there. But it's so great to meet a graduate of the academy. Yeah, yeah. So tell us more about uh, sure. those experiences. Sure. Well, uh, it's pretty cool to be sitting here in Hurley because this is the town that I was born and raised in. Uh, even though I went to Kingston High School, I'm actually from Hurley. I grew up... Probably it's definitely less than a mile from from where we're sitting here, uh, and uh, in the studio. 
So my family has been in this area literally since they came to the country on both sides. My dad's side, if you couldn't guess by by my name, from Ireland, and my mom's side from Germany and Italy. And uh, on my dad's side, they actually literally, when they landed at Ellis Island, they came up the Hudson pretty a few days later and got off in, in Kingston in wow. what's now the Rondout. And they've been in this in this community forever. And uh, on my, uh, my grandmother on the other side grew up in Gardner. And uh, anyhow, we, we've been here a long time. And my family has, from when I can remember, always imbued in me this sense of being like an active, a real active member of a community, an engaged citizen. And they also taught me these values of hard work and of service. And so I think seeing their example and my family's example before over generations is what drove me to want to serve, to go to West Point. And I'd also grown up going there as a kid for football games and, and, and so on. So I was very proud to go do that and in my mind to represent my community there. And the gravity of what I had undertaken as a 17-year-old really set in for me when I was a sophomore on September 11th. And I remember, you know, we were just an hour north of, of New York City where the planes hit and all of us immediately wanting to rush as quickly as we could down the river and get to the city and help in whatever way we could. And the one memory that really sticks out to me uh, that day was at, at midnight, there was what's called a TAPS vigil. So the entire Corps of Cadets, 4,000 of us, came out uh, onto the plain, the grassy field in front of the barracks uh, in complete darkness and complete silence. And TAPS was played. And then for about an hour, we all just stood there motionless, silently, and just reflecting on what had happened. I mean, we didn't even know how many lives had, had yet been lost. And I remember realizing that our whole country's path was going to change, that we were probably going to go to war, that, I, that my life was going to change. And so after that, I, I, I graduated a few years later. I deployed to Iraq and served two deployments in Iraq as an intelligence officer, honestly f serving in a war that I had serious, serious reservations about us initiating. And but I did so because, you know, that's that's what we were all signed up to do. And I think the thing that really I took away from my time in Iraq and in the military was this realization, this memory of I had about 20 soldiers that I was responsible for as a young officer who barely knew what the heck I was doing. And they were from all over the country, from different backgrounds, races, religions, different sports teams that they followed. But we all came together to serve this greater good. There was never any question that we we're going to have each other's back, that we we're going to work together. And I've carried that with me into my experience in the business world and, and now into this next effort that I'm, I'm undertaking to run. And, and just to, to sort of finish up to, to get us to where we are today, as I left the military, I wanted to fix a problem that had really frustrated me when I was serving in Iraq, which was that our troops on the front lines didn't have access to the best cutting edge technology that was coming out of Silicon Valley and other parts of the innovation economy here in the U.S. So two friends and I co-founded a company and we headquartered it in D.C., because that's really where you had to go to, to tackle this problem. And we grew this company eventually to about 150 people who were all over the world working with our troops and effectively getting this great technology into the hands of our soldiers. 
And the thing I'm really, in addition to the impact we had there, the thing I'm really proud of about that company is over half of those people were veterans themselves who were coming home from serving and trying to find a meaningful job and transition back into civilian life and provide for their family. So that sort of bridged into meeting my wife in D.C. and then us moving back to New York. And now that sort of brings us to where we are today. That's such a compelling story. And people say thank you for your service. But I think when you actually talk to someone who was out there on the front lines in this war that we heard about thousands and thousands of miles away. And for me growing up, the Iraq War was had such a different perception because of you know, we had family around the world who saw this in a very different way than I think people here initially saw it. I think the the attitude definitely changed over the years. And even now, um, the fact of the matter is that we had thousands and thousands of our young and bright individuals out there on the front lines giving up years of their life for Really, you know, people forget the goal. The initial goal was to take out a dictator in Iraq and bring a true democracy to the country. And that's going that's it's still going on today. And we don't talk about it enough. And because I think the public opinion of the war is so low, but there are these real problems that come out of it. Yeah. Returning veterans have really struggled. Unfortunately, one of my soldiers committed suicide after our first deployment. A really good friend of mine last year committed suicide after struggling with depression. And it is a, it's over a dozen veterans per day in our community that are committing suicide still. And it's a major, major problem that we've got to fix. Stay tuned for more of our interview with Pat Ryan here on Spotlight 19. One of the things that has come up for me uh, in my talks with people in the district is, you know, why aren't some of these younger candidates seeking local office prior to just, you know, everyone kind of wants to go for this seat against FASO. It's very, there's this national media attention now on Congress, and it's probably going to be the best voter turnout for an off-year election. But why not seek local office prior to seeking a congressional run? Yeah. So one, I think the energy and the fear and concern and excitement is unlike anything that I've ever seen in my life. I was just talking to my parents last night. I mean, they've lived here uh, well over 60 years in Kingston, and they said they've just never seen anything like the engagement and momentum that we have right now. And it's a very broad part of our community that's engaged. And so that's why I think there is so much energy and excitement. And that's part of uh, definitely what's what's driving me. The other thing that's driving me to, to your question is this idea of, I think Congress in particular right now is really missing representatives who are there to serve the greater good, who are actually willing to put people of their community above their party and themselves and some other sort of set of identities or agendas. And I think our country is at a really, really scary kind of inflection point right now. And one of the first best places to try to constrain some of the policies that the Trump administration and others have undertaken already in such a short amount of time is to take back the House in 2018. I think 
that is what is driving so much energy and focus on the 19th congressional district. For me personally, one of the many issues I'm really focused on tackling and fixing is, you know, to our earlier discussion, Congress's role in foreign policy and national security and decisions to go to war and how to conduct that war. And I think for decades, quite honestly, Congress has failed to live up to its responsibility sure. to, to being a, a check and balance on the, the executive branch. And this is not a partisan thing. This is on all sides. I think we need members of Congress who have firsthand knowledge of what it means to go to war and, and what that involves and entails. And you know, I've, I've experienced it firsthand. I've studied it in grad school. I got my master's in security studies at Georgetown focused on these issues. And I just think we need more people in Congress who can speak from a position of experience and authority on these critical, critical issues. As the world continues to get more and more complex and unstable, these issues are going to continue to come up. So that is a big part of the reason, in addition to fighting for this community that's given my family and I so much on issues like healthcare, job creation, the environment, I also am really passionate about this other issue too. Absolutely. And it is so needed because I think in Congress right now, there are very few veterans. I actually heard about Vote Vets, which I think is the organization that you're, are you affiliated with them or how is your relationship with them? They endorsed me and several veteran candidates in the 2018 cycle. I was humbled and honored to, to receive their endorsement. <laughs> yeah, my, my understanding, the first time I heard about Vote Vets was in an interview that Pod Save America did with Seth Moulton, mm-hmm. who I had actually seen when he first ran. And he had such a compelling story that was featured on This American Life of uh, how he became so close with this interpreter and have a lot of respect for this great organization that's really trying to bring the best and the brightest from these foreign wars that we've been entangled in and still are entangled in today and bring those leaders and get them back involved in Congress where most members of Congress don't have a military affiliation. Some members have a child who's serving, but most of them have not served. I think it's this idea that a lot of people feel right now that members of Congress are are in it for the wrong reasons, whether it's they want to get reelected again or they've become owned by big money donors or special interests. People genuinely feel, and I agree, that the votes that so many members are taking, particularly the health care vote, for example, there's no other way to explain how you take away help from your own constituents other than there, there must be some other reason or interest that's driving you there. And it's not a selfless reason or justification. And so I think whether it's military service or people that have worked for the Peace Corps or been diplomats or worked teaching uh, in Teach for America in, in inner city schools and other schools across our country, we need people in Congress and at all levels of government who are doing it for the reason of I really believe in public service. I really believe that it's my responsibility for some period of my life to give back to this country, to give back to my community. And I just think that's really, unfortunately, lacking right now. So we we need more leaders in all parts of government who think that way. Stay tuned for more with Pat Ryan on Spotlight 19. 
going back to something you mentioned earlier, which unfortunately, I think we've talked about it on every episode at this point, which is the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. I think everyone's trying to enjoy their 4th of July without thinking too much about it, but something that hits so close to home and it should be hitting close to home for every single person. You know, Justin and I are lucky enough to get insurance through our employer, but I never thought that I would have to make my future employment decisions based on healthcare, but that's what I am having to do because I don't know if we'll be able to afford insurance, Mm -hmm. have insurance, whether we'll qualify. I don't know what will happen next year. And I know we're very privileged to have great insurance now, and we're kind of scrambling to get everything done in case something changes. And I would like to be very optimistic and think that this is not going to happen, but I I think after the election, you kind of prepare yourself for the worst, and this is going to devastate the entire country, but especially this district where so many people rely on the Affordable Care Act. And... Representative Fazo for the past three weeks is, I think he has a new social media person, perhaps, but he's really pushing this narrative of my property tax relief amendment, which is his justification of why he voted for the repeal, is going to benefit so many in the 19th district. What are your thoughts on all of this, that he's kind of explaining away the fact that people in this district are going to suffer by saying that some people are going to get a property tax a rebate, I guess, of $300. I think that's what Justin and I will get, which is not going to make a huge difference in our day to day. Yeah, yeah. So I think many people that I've talked to across the district have said that they think their taxes in New York State are too high. But I think it's absolutely quite honestly, disgusting to try to justify a bill that is both wrong from a policy perspective, but I also think wrong from a moral perspective. And so I think this is sort of a, a weird attempt at a, like a bait and switch or, hey, hey, look over here at this other sort of shiny thing so I can distract you from what's actually happening. The reality of what's happening here, and, and you, you hit on this, We have to understand and talk about this over and over and over so people really get the impact. And so I I wanted to take just a minute and talk about how I think about this, because the way I envision this bill is it's like a bomb exploding. And then you have this ripple effect of these waves coming out, these second and third and fourth order effects. So the immediate damage from this bill is you know the number that we've been hearing, whether it's 22 million or 23 million or 24 million Americans across this country, tens of thousands of constituents here in New York 19 that will immediately lose healthcare coverage. And that's an important part. That's the sort of the immediate damage. The, the second level out, though, we also need to think about, which is that even those who may keep their coverage, the, the cost... Of, of that coverage is going to dramatically rise. And the CBO report has lots of great examples of this, particularly for people who are my parents' age, between 50 and 64, pre-Medicare, who are going to see three, four, five X increases in their, in their premiums. Then the third ring out that's impacted here 
is our our healthcare and and hospital systems and our healthcare workers. So particularly in rural areas that rely on the federal funding to keep these hospitals open, there are many people in New York 19 that will now have to drive potentially an hour or two further to even just get medical care at a hospital. And then the other piece, the number two uh, category of jobs here in this district are healthcare jobs. So we're also going to be taking away funding to pay for these important jobs and, and ultimately cost jobs. And then the last sort of ring of impact you sort of hit on, which is every single person, all 700,000 people in New York 19 are affected by this because they're going to think exactly the way that you did. They're going to say, hey, I don't know what's coming here. I may lose this coverage and I know that something could go wrong for me or my family. You know, a few weeks ago was high school graduations. And I think about, I'm a family living in Hurley. I want to take my kids out for a big dinner to celebrate high school graduation. But I'm worried that we may need to save up money to pay for healthcare in six months. And so I'm not going to go out to dinner. And that hurts the local business owner at, at the restaurant. Or I may not be able to afford to pay my child's little league dues because now I need to save that money. So almost everything we do in this district is going to be affected by this bill. And we need to tell all of those stories and understand how devastating the impact is going to be. Uh, Justin chiming in again. So this past week, I interacted with some folks on Twitter who are actually FASO supporters. And I asked this person whether Saja and I should get a second job to support a family member if he were to be kicked off Medicaid. And the supporter said that, yes, we should get second jobs. Now, the polarization regarding healthcare is so great, and the narrative of the right is that Obama is the reason healthcare costs are rising. Pat, what do you think about this? Yeah, there's clearly there's the issue of just overall rising healthcare costs, which is a challenge that every country in the world is facing right now. That's a really, really hard challenge that's going to take us a long time to figure out. But it, it should be actually, I think, separated from this idea of do we want to help people in our community who are at a tough time and, and need some help, which all of us are going to either have been in that situation or are going to be in that situation. And I think, unfortunately, trying to assign blame for rising healthcare costs is not um, is not the right way to, to frame it. Sure. And, you know, this a lot of the calls and letters and media that John Fazzo is receiving from the constituents are based on health care. I'm sure he gets many, many calls a day about it. Uh, Keep them coming. Keep them yeah, coming. <laughs> but one of the issues that I think I've faced and we've tried to talk about it on the show is there's definitely a lack of accountability and transparency with respect to our new congressman who, at this point, he's so early into his tenure, he should make himself as available as possible. It's been very difficult to understand how he keeps track of who's calling and who's writing. Uh, do you have any plans to make sure, should you win, your office is more transparent, is more open than our current member of Congress is? This is a really, really important point. I one of the main drivers for me to to want to run and challenge uh, Congressman Faso is this idea of a lack of accountability. And honestly, it's it is mind blowing to me. I mean, f my parents raised me to always have this sense of you're responsible for your actions and accountability. 
at West Point, the first thing we were taught was this idea of no excuses, that it's either yes, no, or no excuse. Those are the only acceptable answers to a question. And that is the exact opposite, I think, of the way that, unfortunately, Congressman Fass has been approaching his job. And the whole idea here is you're a representative, right? Sure. You are there to amplify the people's voices of your community. And of course, we're not all going to agree on every issue, but you've got to be ready to listen. You've got to be ready to show up and explain the votes you took on every single vote, big issue, small issue, and and everything in between. This is at the heart of the problem, I think, right now for, for this community. I've been thinking a lot about your question of how do you improve this? And I've really been thinking back to some of the things I've learned from starting and running technology businesses. You know, it's 2017. There are amazing technology-driven solutions to allow you to be responsive to constituents and responsive to people in your community. So one of the things that, that we're actually starting to think about on our even during the campaign is standing up an online platform where people can easily in a frictionless way, get on and share their opinions on bills that are being voted on with me so that I can understand how the community is thinking about things. If fortunate enough to be elected and represent this great community, I would want to build on that and build effectively an online platform where people could submit the same way you sort of submit a trouble ticket for your uh, computer not working at your office or your phone. I'm going to submit this. I'm going to be able to see what the response rate is I'm going to get resolution on it and I'm going to be able to track it throughout. And from what I've heard and talking to many people who've reached out to John Faso, it's literally like sticky notes and yellow (laughs) legal pads. And that blows my mind in today's day and age. We need to be service focused in constituent services. That's so much of the core of the job of a representative. This is Justin. Just uh, want to chime in again with another question. So it seems to me like John Faso is is not a bad person, but his votes seem to be harming, really harming people in his district. So why do you think he's voting this way? And what do you say to people that have lost hope in their and faith in their in their representative? And and how will you be any different? What's happening right now is increasingly both sides, both parties are going to our corners on every single issue, big or small. And what ends up happening is maybe we make a little bit of progress on a few very small issues. But I think we all recognize in this country, there are some major, major generational issues that we need to figure out around healthcare, around how do we create uh, a new economy that makes sure everybody can provide for their family with, with dignity. How do we figure out how to reform taxes? These are big, big issues that we can't make real progress on in a partisan way. So I think we need people in in Congress who are willing to say, and I am definitely willing to say this, if I have to make a hard vote on one of those big issues that I know is the right thing, and that means I don't get reelected, that's fine. That's the way this system is supposed to work. You go there to solve the big issues that your constituents and your community is fa- are, are facing and you vote the, the morally right way and you vote with integrity. And if that means you serve one term or two, 
that's okay. And you should feel really damn good, maybe better about yourself having done that. And there's just not enough people doing that right now. And so ultimately, I guess, I mean, you've got to take me at my, my word on that to a certain degree, but I think there aren't a lot of people who are approaching it that way. And I think there is a wave of people, sort of a next generation who are coming into and running uh, at all levels of government for the right reason with this approach and, you know, give us a shot to show that we can turn this around. I think faith is at an all-time low right now in Congress in particular. I, I just read, NPR just did this report. They said 46% of Americans, both sides, say they don't have very much faith in Congress. 22% say they have no trust in Congress. That is a serious serious problem. And a big part of the reason I'm running is is that sense, as I talk to people, that people have lost hope. And this is such a core part of what makes America so special. We can't just give up on that. We've got we've to fix it. So we try to stay local on Spotlight 19. And it's distressing to us that the administration keeps denying Russian meddling into the election when we know now that it happened. And John Faso's mild rebukes are just not acceptable to us. It's such a serious issue. Do you think there's anything that we can do here? Probably second to healthcare, actually. The issue I hear a lot about from a lot of people is their concerns about President Trump's ability to be the commander in chief, the ability of Congress to hold him accountable in that position, which we talked a little bit about earlier. And the Russian interference in our elections, that sort of incident and issue wraps up all the problems, I think, and, and encapsulates all these challenges. So, you know, it's very, very clear to anyone who's uh, worked in national security issues or intelligence issues before that clearly the Russians had a very deliberate campaign to disrupt our election. We need to just pause for a minute as a country and understand how grave a threat that is to our whole system. Because the way that most people have raised this issue to me is, I'm afraid when I go vote in these important elections in November 2017 and November 2018 and every year from then, that how do I know that my vote is going to count or that um, you know, this is going to be a free and fair election? That is literally the essence of our whole system. And we cannot have people thinking that way and questioning. I cannot imagine what this must be like for you as someone who fought in a country that was really trying to have free and fair elections and start a true democracy in these countries that were under dictatorships and having, I don't, did you ever imagine that you would come back and face a similar issue in the States? I never imagined that we would question our election system here in this country, I which, never which so is either. so foundational. And especially, you know, it's the day before Independence Day. <laughs> like, this is even more on my mind and on many people's minds. And so it's so concerning to me that this major, major issue that affects every single American is being swept under the rug for purely partisan reasons by, by the Trump administration and then by our quote-unquote representative John Faso, who is a smart guy 
and has smart people working for him on his staff and understand the gravity of this situation. So there's no other explanation for why you would not more vehemently call for us getting to the bottom of this and fixing it other than, as you said, sort of being beholden to the party and being beholden to the big money donors that don't want the system changed and don't want the status quo challenged. And that is so, so scary and so, so wrong to me. We've got to, we just can't let this slide. We can't. So to your question of what can we do, the same intensity that I've seen so many activist groups go and protest on healthcare and the environment and other issues, we've got to make this issue real for everyone in our community and understand the gravity of what we're facing here. And we need to go protest and be active and talk to our neighbors, whether we agree or disagree politically, about how this impacts us. And so I just think it's so, so important and central to our whole system. So we can't let it fade away. We can't let them continue to sweep this under the rug. Sure. And, you know, just to wrap up and now I'm, you know, I think we'll be thinking about that a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just so much. You know, and I I hope that these investigative bodies, I, I have a lot of, I do have faith in the special prosecutor. I think that special prosecutor Mueller is a seasoned investigator and he can figure this out, I hope. But I think that investigation is going to take time because it's a special prosecutor. It's a it's an attorney who wants to make sure no stone goes unturned and make sure everything is done legally so they don't they can't bring in a procedural challenge and you know make it go away. You know, this administration has great lawyers too that know exactly what to do. And I think that's where people get so confused. I went to school for this and it's still confusing to me. I can't imagine what it must be like. Well, why isn't Congress doing anything? Congress should be investigating this with the intensity that that they were elected to do right. in, in case something like this happened. It's an attack. Exactly. And so Bob Mueller's great American. I think he'll conduct this investigation with integrity. But that doesn't shouldn't let Congress off the sure. hook. And it shouldn't let the executive branch off the hook, by the way. It blows my mind, and it's absolutely wrong, again, that we essentially hear nothing anymore now from the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, who's supposed to be investigating this. Because whatever comes out of that investigation or Bob Mueller's investigation— That's just going to tell us the facts. But what we have to recognize is this is a serious threat and we need to do something more about it than just let it continue. So, again, that's where Congress needs to step up from the legislative perspective, where the Trump administration needs to step up from their executive branch perspective and make policy changes so that this can't because, I mean, we're now what we're only a few months away from another set of really, really important local elections in November 2017. And we can't have people not feeling like their vote's going to be properly counted and it's going to be a fair election. So we, we got to just keep fighting on this one. Definitely agree with that sentiment. And to that note, I hope everyone is registered to vote, even if you may be thinking that your vote doesn't count. It certainly does. And, you know, you're looking ahead to 2018, but I hope everyone gets out there and votes in 2017. We have a few months of summer left and it's important to resist and it's important to 
you know, make sure you're informed, but it's also important to decompress. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I asked this to everyone, but what kind of non-political thing are you looking forward to this summer? Because, you know, you need keep some you need to take a yeah. break sometime. Yeah, you got me all fired up. Um, <laughs> so the number one thing is my wife and my anniversary is coming up in a little over two weeks. It'll be our two year anniversary my wife Rebecca so she is congratulations uh, thank you she's my she's my rock who uh is with with me on this fight so I'm excited to celebrate that with her um and uh it's a surprise what we're doing so I won't I won't disclose (laughs) the specifics but it'll be awesome will it be in the (laughs) district uh yes it'll be in the district this concludes our interview with Pat Ryan Pat thank you so much and we look forward to hearing more from you and we hope to have you back on the show Spotlight 19 will be back hopefully within a week if not sooner you know we we produce this show in our spare time and there's so much happening so fast but we will try our best to stay on top and in our next episode we will cover John Fazzo's votes for the month of June and we also have a special guest also running for John Fazzo's congressional seat in District 19 Antonio Delgado so until next time be well and keep the faith let go of